As Pastor Tim has already mentioned, this morning we remember those who have sacrificed so much so that we can have uh, the privilege and the blessing of living in this country as free people. Amen to that? Now you guys remember, I'm preaching this morning so it's more interaction, okay? (laughs) There's a number of reasons for that, and uh, one of them is make sure you stay awake. But I still believe it's the greatest country on the planet. Even though we have our faults and we have things that we'd love to see changed, uh, but I still believe it is the greatest country on this, in this world. But every nation does have its uncertainties. Wouldn't you agree with that? And uh, we are no different. And that's what I want to share with you this morning. The uncertainties of our world, the uncertainties of our society today, like wars of the past, the wars of the present, the, the war in Iraq or Afghanistan, uh, terror attacks in so many parts of the world. Uh, we think of the one in the UK just this last week. Uh, those things that, that happen that, that are uncertainties, including the terrorist attacks in the United States or the moral issues of our nation, uh, which also tends to highlight the news or at least uh, the Christian news, if you will. Sometimes all this makes it very difficult uh, for us to understand what's going on in this world of ours. Sometimes we often long, at least those who are of some, of some age, sometimes we often long for those good old days, right? Well, we should just say we long for the old days, because not all of them are very good old days. But it seems like it compared to today. Now, in Scripture, when, when people lived in such uncertain times, It was always a a period where God's people uh, rose to the occasion, if you will. It was always a period where God's people used these opportunities and used the times in which they lived in to show how God really works in tragic times. We have example after example, illustration after illustration in Scripture of how that or, or what took place, which should lead us to a question, at least it does me, how should we then, how should we who are burdened for our nation, burdened for our society, burdened for our world today in, a, in, a, in the current events that are taking place in our society today, those of us who are burdened for that, how should we react? Well, first of all, I want to share with you, I think, a, a couple of things. First of all, we must believe that God's ways, God's ways must always be the focus when we're facing such times as this. Wouldn't you agree? It's easy to get off that, but God's God's way should be the focus when we're facing such times like this. Now, he doesn't want us to completely focus on circumstances. He doesn't want us to completely focus on the situations or even the environments in, in which we find ourselves in. Now, don't get me wrong, we need to be aware. We need to be aware of what is taking place. We need not be ignorant of what is happening in our world today, but it shouldn't be our consuming passion. And I find so often today that it is the consuming, or at least a time-consuming passion of many Christians today. We must always be focused on the things of God, on the ways of God in these times. The second thing we need to think about is we need to hold fast to some very basic core beliefs. 
If we want to truly change our world for our, or our society today, there are some basic beliefs we need to cling to and we need to pass them on to others. And that's what I want to look at real briefly this morning is some basic core beliefs that, that we must cling to and we must apply and we must pass on if we want to see God at work in our world today. So, do you believe that, that God is still at work? Right? He is still at work even though it may seem He's going about it in a way in which you and I wouldn't go about it, correct? He's still at work in our nation today. So, the very first core belief I want to share with you is this. God's sovereignty is unshakable. And we're going to turn to a whole bunch of uh, different passages of Scripture this morning. So you either can write them down or you can turn real fast. I'm going to read them to you anyhow. And uh, I'm too lazy to do a PowerPoint, so that's why they're not up there. And a good Bible drill for you. And every, every once in a while, this would be one of those days. But uh, we're going to turn to uh, 10 or 15 different passages, so get ready. All right? Lick your fingers. The first one I want to share with you is, as I've already said, God's sovereignty is unshakable. And we need to turn to Isaiah chapter 45. Isaiah chapter 45. I'm going to spend a little more time on this one because it is the umbrella. It is the, it is the foundation, if you will, of all the rest of these core beliefs for our nation today. In this passage, we'll see the, the uniqueness of God. Let me read this to you. Isaiah chapter 45. And we're going to start, we're going to start reading in verse 5. Isaiah 45, verse 5. Here the Bible says, I am, or here God says, I am the Lord, and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I equip you, though you do not know me, that people may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none besides me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. You see the uniqueness of God here? The uniqueness of God in the fact that there is no other God? Do you truly understand that? Do you truly believe that? That there is no other God? We'll read about other gods. We'll watch TV programs that, that have other gods in them. And we don't even think twice about the fact that there is only one God. One true God. He's the one that equips us. He's the one who equips us for such times that we live in. Do you ever think about that? He, you, you are living today, and in the era that you're living in, or the time period you're living in, it's not a mistake. God knows the time period you're living in. Do you not think he has a purpose for you during this time period? He does. And when we run around dismayed and discouraged and, and focusing on everything but God, that's not going to change things. That's not going to help things. He has you here. You could have been born 500 years ago. Right? Don't look around at those you think were. <laughs> it's, not, it's not right. He has you here at this particular time for a very particular reason. He equips us for such a time that we live in. People must realize that, that all that happens, and as it says here in this passage, Light, darkness, life, death, prosperity, disaster, all comes from or is allowed by God. He is the sovereign Lord of the universe. We must understand that He can do everything. He can do anything. 
he so desires. Let's read that again, because you need to get this ingrained in your head. If you leave here today and this is the only thing you remember, this will be good. He says, I am the Lord, and there is no other. That's pretty matter of fact. Besides me, there is no God. I equip you, though you, may not, or though you do not know me, that people may know from the rising of the sun from, and from the west that there is none besides me. He goes, I am the Lord, and there is no other. I form light and create darkness. Then he says this, I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. Understand that. God's sovereignty is unshakable. unshakable. Remember, he allows every great blessing and every great crisis. Nothing escapes him. Nothing escapes his watchful eye. His purposes are the same no matter what. His character is unchanged no matter what the circumstances are. And we can rest in the fact that God's sovereign will is to glorify himself at all times. His sovereignty is unshakable. The second core belief I want to share with you that we must cling to is we need to walk in a spirit of humility. We need to have and walk in a spirit of humility and turn to a very familiar passage in Micah chapter 6. Micah chapter 6, the prophet writes, He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? What does the Lord require of you? It doesn't read, what does the Lord want you to do when you feel like it? Does it? What does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? You know, when it comes to walking closely with the Lord, humility is essential and even necessary for his intervention in our lives. What does God, here in this passage, say a good relationship consists of? First of all, it says to do justly, or your Bible may say to act justly. In other words, be fair with your de in your dealings with others. Then he says to love mercy. Carry through on your commitments that you have in serving others. And then he says walk humbly with God, with modesty, without arrogance, without pride. You know, you're not better than anyone else in any area of your life because you know the Lord is your Savior. Is that true? Over in 2 Corinthians, or 2 Chronicles, I should say, in chapter 7, verse 14, a very familiar passage of Scripture. And uh, it says, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. You know, when the Lord... Heard, heard Solomon's prayer about destroying the land with drought or with locusts or with plague. He tells him if his people, he tells him if his people would turn to the Lord in humility and in repentance, they would find forgiveness and they would find restoration. What a great illustration for us today in America. Don't you agree? We need, listen carefully, we need to be very careful, and here's one of our problems. We need to be very careful of allowing things like, like our military might or our economic power or our technical superiority or whatever you want to call it, we need to be very careful not to let those things produce a sense of arrogance 
and pride in our nation today. Because it can. And in many cases it does. As a people of God, as a nation, we need a spirit of humility for God to work and for God to move. It is a core belief that we need to cling to. There's another one I want to share with you, another core belief, and that is we need to remember man's greatest need is spiritual. Man's greatest need is spiritual. And turn to 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 3. While you're turning there, let me share this with you. Even in the, even in the midst of all our efforts, whether they're militarily, whether economically, socially, whatever the case may be, we must not lose sight of the greater spiritual battle, and this is what's hard for us sometimes, of the greater spiritual battle that is taking place in the hearts of men. Would you agree with that? People do think about it. Even your most hardened person does, or at least has at some time in their life, thought about the spiritual part of their life. They may have just cast it away after a time, or they may continue to be wondering about it or thinking about it, but there's always something going on in the hearts of men. Helping meet the physical well-being of people, don't get me wrong, is important. I don't want you to think I don't think it's important, but it is secondary to the spiritual well-being, even if they don't realize it. Let me give you an example. It's more of a personal example, because I've seen it happen many, many, many times. When I was in the Navy, I would, I would work with sailors, I'd be in units with, with sailors, not all the sailors are out to sea, okay? And we would be in units, and we would be out on patrol, or we'd be on some certain missions uh, that maybe we were a part of, and we would, everyone would be concerned about their physical well-being. Would they get shot? Would they get blown up? Would they get hurt in some way? That's a, that's a thought that crosses your mind. And some of you can, can identify with that. And then when you confront those same people, or them same sailors in, in my case, when you confront them with their spiritual well-being, you know what happens? The question always lingers in many of their minds, what will happen if I die? What will happen if I don't make it back? What will happen if this is my last patrol or my last mission? Every single person I've ever been with wonders that at some time or another before they leave, before they go on a certain mission or on a patrol. We talk about it. Your body goes through different functions before you leave on a, on a if you're going into a war zone area. It just, it just works that way. And you have, you have things you need to consider. And that's one of them. They may... You know, nobody wants to get shot. Nobody wants to get hurt. Don't get me wrong. That's the physical well-being part. And then it always begs the question, but what if? what if? What if that guy that shared with me, I don't know, he talked about Jesus dying for my sins. What if he is right? What if he is wrong? What does it mean? I've seen it happen time and time and time again. The question always lingers in many of the minds. What will happen if I die? Folks, I can guarantee you then, the spiritual becomes much more important than the physical. Much more. 
And in, and in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, look at me in verse 9. It says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. The Lord is patient towards us because his desire is that all should come to repentance. Not all will, but that is his desire. There will come a time when it will be too late to trust Christ as your Savior for many. And with that in mind, man's greatest need isn't physical. It is definitely spiritual. And that's a belief we need to cling to in our nation today. There's a fourth core belief. We must repent of our sins. Romans chapter 2. We need to repent of our sin. We need to do that individually. We need to do that as a nation. In Romans chapter 2, verse 4 says, Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourselves on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. And then he says in verse 6, He will render to each one according to his works, to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immorality, or immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. Listen closely. Turning from our wicked ways, either as individuals or as a nation, is not something we should do just to avoid conflict with someone or because we got caught doing something. God does deliver. He delivers those who turn from their sin and those who are going in their own way and they turn to Him with a commitment and a love for the Lord Jesus Christ. He does, He does offer them eternal life. He does turn their way. He does accept their repentance, if you will, when they trust in Christ as their Savior. Listen, by not sending His wrath upon us for our sin, which we ought to be thankful for, shows His patience and His kindness. Would you agree with that? His, his purpose is to lead people toward repentance and to come to Him through His kindness and His love. But... Because of our stubbornness, this passage says, or our hardness of heart, we're storing up his wrath unless we turn to him in total repentance and change of heart. That's what needs to happen in our nation today. Well, there's another core value that we need to cling to, and that is we need to seek God's face, or we need to seek God's wisdom in these things. And, and if you turn over to the 80th Psalm, Psalm 80, we need to seek his wisdom. There is a tendency sometimes uh, for us to get our information about things in this world and in our society today from the so-called experts, right? And they're experts. CNN, Fox News, Anderson Cooper, I don't know, Sean Hannity. I, mean, I can think of Rush Limbaugh. Those are the experts, right? Especially we get our information from them if they're people we agree with. Correct? Folks, here's the problem. These can, these can become substitutes for what God longs for his children to do, and that is to be totally dependent upon him and not upon those people. They may have some great opinions, and they may have some, some, some learned words for us to, sh to, to hear and listen, 
But they're not the expert. God is the expert. Look at this passage here in, in, in Psalm 80. The psalmist writes, Restore us, O Lord, or, o Lord God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. The psalmist prayed this. He says that, that God's hand would restore them and that his face would shine upon them or bless them. Now, that is what we must do. We need to seek his face. We need to seek his wisdom. We want his face to shine upon us. Not that of our news organizations, of our magazines. We need to seek God's wisdom. He's the expert in all things. Would you agree with that? Will you agree with that when you're listening to these guys on the radio when you're driving in your car? Yeah, that's what I thought. The other core, another core belief we need to cling to is we must give God the glory in our victories. We need to give God the glory in our victories. And turn to Proverbs 21. Proverbs 21. Here in Proverbs 21 at verse 31, the Bible tells us, The horse is made ready for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. Human effort, although it's necessary, is like human wisdom. It has its limitations. It is useless, keep in mind, it is useless in a fight with God. Do you believe that? No matter what your weapons may be, whether they're horses, whether they're chariots, whether they're tanks, whether they're rockets, whether they're some superior strategy that you, you have, or whether it's your advanced computer systems, whatever the case, whatever it may be, it is not a guarantee of victory. That comes only from the Lord. Whenever there's victory, no matter how large, no matter how small, we need to be quick to give credit to the Lord. Amen? He's the one who enables us to obtain that victory. Now, now many will want to give credit to other sources, like how, how smart we are, or how bold we are, or how brave we are. I mean, in some cases, how lucky we are. But we need to give credit to the Lord. He is the one who deserves the glory for our victories. We don't even need to share the credit. This is how sometimes we share the credit. And it sounds nice, and, and I'm sure they don't mean, the people who say this, they don't mean it in a bad way, but, you know, the, I don't know, I'm just trying to think of this. The, the rockets we use today in our military to destroy our enemies are so precise because we have it to, to such a, the experts are just so good, our technology is just so good. We praise God that he gave us that technology. You know what we should just be saying? Praise God for the victory. We know how he did it. It's not a shared glory. You know, God could have used some other means. Correct? We need to think about those things. He, he doesn't even want to share the credit. God must get it all. He must get all the glory for our victories. We need to cling to that core belief. Because in our nation today, it's easy for us to... To, to think of, get off on a, on a beaten path about how good we are and how God used us. There's another core belief that we need to cling to. We need to pray. We need to pray fervently, faithfully, and sacrificially 
for our nation. In James chapter 5, James chapter 5, James writes here dealing with uh, the story of Elijah. He says, Elijah, in verse 17, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. I like that. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Now think about this. Elijah prayed fervently and faithfully. He prayed sacrificially to move the hand of God, and he did. It's foolish for us to think that our nation and, and us as a, as a people should expect anything to change without going to God in prayer. Correct? And we hear this. Well, you know, I've been praying for our nation and nothing ever changes. Oh, well, well then I guess you probably should stop then because it's not working. Wrong. Don't do that. It's a sacrifice to faithfully pray for our nation and to fervently, in other words, heartfelt need to see us turn back to God. It is a sacrifice to do that. It takes time and it's inconvenient. And to truly believe that he can change things. We need to fervently pray. You know, it is, it is counterproductive to believe that our nation would change without going to our knees in prayer. It's just that simple. And there's another core belief we need to cling to. We need to continue to love our enemies. We need to continue to love our enemies. And in Proverbs chapter 21, if you want to turn there, many of you will know this familiar verse. In Proverbs chapter 21, it says, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. This is, this is important to keep in mind. We need to continue to, to love our enemies. That's hard to do. It's always hard. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. How is it how is it that we are to pray for those who terrorize our country? How is it? How is it that, that we are to pray for those who would like to harm us and, and destroy us? How hard would it have been after Pearl Harbor to pray for the Japanese? How hard would it have been to pray for Nazi Germany during World War II? How hard is it to pray for, for those who took part in, in a more recent the, the, the 9-11 incident, terrorist attack. To continue to love our enemies and to pray for them. This is, this is how. You see, we are to pray that God would get a hold of their hearts. We're not to have the attitude as, I hope God never gets a hold of their hearts because they deserve hell. That's not the right attitude, folks. That's not what God wants. We're to pray. We're to love our enemies. We're to pray for the salvation of their souls, that they may come to know the only one who can give them eternal life, just like he did you. Listen, take a look at that verse once again in Proverbs. The, the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. 
doesn't make any mistakes. That's the attitude we're to have. I didn't say it'd be easy. The Bible doesn't say it'd be easy. There's another core belief, and we're going to go real quick through these. There's only a couple more. We must help the needy. Proverbs 31. Proverbs 31, verse 8 9 says, Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and the needy. I want you to think about this. A people or a nation who defends those who cannot defend themselves, including the unborn, those who defend who are, who are not noted as worthy people, maybe by their, their social status, a people, who, a people who defends them, people who stands up for them, will be considered a gracious and a just people. The destitute are those passing away, the poor, the needy, those who are easily oppressed. Must never forget about them. Those who are hurting, those who are, are suffering, must know and must see that God's people are, are to respond in love and in practical ways to help them meet their own basic needs. That's what a people should do. Look what it says. Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and the needy. We need to help those who are in need. And the last core belief, or there's probably more, but this, we're going to stop this one. We need to call out for mercy. We need to cling to this one. We need to call out for mercy. Here in this verse, in Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 2, I'm going to share this with you. O Lord, I have heard the report of you. In your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. The, the prophet Habakkuk heard of God's purposes and, his, and, and to discipline the nation of Judah and uh, to destroy Babylon. And when Habakkuk heard this, he was filled with awe. So he asked God for two things, revival and mercy. He asked, he asked for a fresh showing or a fresh manifestation of God's power. He says, revive them, he asks. Help them remember who you are. That's what we need, don't we? We need, we need the people of our nation to, to remember who God is, who he truly is. He's not a genie in a bottle. He is the sovereign God of the universe. And then he says, then he says this. He asks, in the midst of the years, in other words, what he's talking about, our time. In the midst of the years, our time, do what you said. Show us what you said you were going to do. But, but, in your wrath, remember mercy. That's what we always want. Isn't that true? In God's wrath, please, God, remember mercy. Folks, we need to realize, even if we are the greatest nation, we still don't deserve victory. It is, it is only by God's mercy and God's grace we are where we're at today. And if we consider all the ways that we offend God with our pride, with our rebellion, there are perversions of all sorts. We don't deserve what we have. And we must never stop crying out to God for his mercy. That is a core belief we need to cling to. So, as we celebrate this Memorial Day weekend, I want to challenge you to this. Not to forget those who have given so much that we can live in a nation such as this. But also, let's not forget, God is watching us. And we must hold to some core beliefs to keep our nation free. This is the Christian's duty. 
This is what we should give our lives for, to glorify God right now, right where he has you. Amen? Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father, you have blessed us so in this nation. You've blessed us with material things. You've blessed us with your love. But Father, we pray now that you will help us to cling to some core beliefs that will glorify you, not just through our nation, but through our individual lives. We want to give you the praise. In Christ's name, amen.